The Fighting Films Podcast discusses films ranging from G to NC-17 rated. The three hosts discussing these films are adults who will not hold back from using bad and or explicit language at times. With that in mind, this show is not censored, so please listen at your own fucking risk. Thanks! Hey everybody, welcome to Fighting Films, a podcast where us three friends pit two films against one another that are similar to us in some way. Maybe they have a very similar plot, maybe they share directors and themes, maybe they're an adaptation of a famous novel, or maybe there is just some personal reason for one each of us. Either way, the discussion will be fun, so let's get those films fighting. I'm one of your co-hosts, Stefan, the show creator, fun fact generator, and critical aggregate. And I'm Jess, the other co-host for now. Uh, Chris is on a bit of a hiatus and will not be joining us basically for Musicals Month. Um, It's not that he hates musicals, but he's just got some stuff he needs to deal with right now. So you've just got us, but that's okay, because we're here to talk about movies. And uh, if you want to interact with us, you can definitely Email us, uh, fightingfilmspod at gmail. We're on Facebook at fightingfilmspod. Um, we're on Twitter at filmsfighting or fightingfilmspodcast. And on Instagram at fightingfilmspod or podcast. Um, we do put up a poll every month. And we do have a Patreon. So if you decide you like the show and want to support us, you can find us on there at Fighting Films Podcast. Um, we do have three tiers right now, but that may be changing very soon. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So with all that being said, Stefan, what movies are we talking about today? We're discussing uh, Moulin Rouge, or should I say Moulin Rouge with the exclamation point. <laughs> Uh, I promise I won't do that the whole episode. Uh, it's all good. Moulin Rouge, Moulin Rouge and the greatest showman. All righty. Yeah. Uh, two, uh, historical, uh, or musicals that take place in, um, uh, historical times, kind of generally about the same time period within probably about, uh, 20, 25 years, I'd say. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom and I tried to pinpoint when Greatest Showman took place, and we couldn't exactly. I'd say around 1880. Well, I mean, it it is kind of a loose biographical of when P.T. Barnum started mm-hmm. getting out, or started, you know, getting his name out there. Um, when did P.T.? It was at least uh, 1871 start his circus uh, is that right how how old was P.T. Barnum when he started his circus uh, did not enter the circus business until he was 60 years old wow mm-hmm. um, in uh, began a real circus in 1870 so um, I think Hugh Jackman was a little bit south of 60 um, but he's, he's uh, looking... 53. My mom and I just looked it up actually. Ah, well, he's looking damn good for his age, and oh, he, Hollywood he will gets, do that. He gets better with age, yeah. Actually, um, in watching The Greatest Showman, I actually saved it to watch with my partner and my son, and uh, they had never seen it. 
And so mm-hmm. we were watching it and I was like, see, you know, it's cool to sing and dance. And, you know, this this actor also played Wolverine from X-Men. And my son was like, what? No way. I'm like, yeah. So, you know, be a man who can do both. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's awesome. Be well-rounded. <laughs> um, so it just I thought it was pretty fun. Um, they're both very, very bright over the top theatrical um bright costumes lots of glitter and glamour um and really really fast uh cinematography like fast cuts and edits yes yes um definitely it it can make you a bit dizzy at times yeah um, the songs are very catchy. Um, both had, you know, good sized ensembles, I would say. Um, you know, both had a Caucasian brunette male as their um, main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, I will I will admit that when you first pitched this, I kind of was like, you know, I just kind of saw the surface similarities. Like I wasn't sure, but you know, watching them both, they they were very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um I I wanted to pitch Chicago against Moulin Rouge, but the storylines mm-hmm. don't really connect don't really they are not similar by yeah chicago's more like noir well and you know a lot of it is in roxy's head as she's going through these stages of the story and her life whereas these are both you know um biographical of people who lived and places that were real and you know i'm i'm using biographical loosely um yes (laughs) very very loosely (laughs) yeah um they did not have cgi lions in uh 18 what 70 um (laughs) yeah nope they did not so you know um but they definitely had top hats Oh my gosh, so many top hats in these movies. Top mm-hmm. hats galore. Like, I think these movies kept the top hat business or top hat industry like in business while they were going. Um, <laughs> uh, especially Moulin Rouge. Like, mm-hmm. everybody wears a top hat practically, or at least all yeah. the men do. Um, and, and, so, and some of the women, yeah. Yeah. Some of the women and, do. I mean, I enjoy a good top hat. I'd like to get a real top hat myself someday, but it's mm-hmm. it's difficult to find a good one, but I know I look good in them. Um, yeah, so top hats and glitz and glamour and, oh, corsets. Oh, um, they are not comfortable. I will put that out there. <laughs> I always think of whenever I think of corsets, I think of um, the scene in Titanic. Yes. Oh, uh, that's just oh, just look at this so oh, just so painful. Yeah, yep. I mean, you wear one long enough, it's gonna alter the shape of not only your physical appearance, but actually like the insides mm-hmm. of your body. 
Um, so that's that's quite uh it's quite a piece. Alrighty, so going straight into Moulin Rouge. Uh, Moulin Rouge uh, was released in theaters in May 2001 um, and was directed by Baz Luhrmann, who had previously done um, the new uh, Romeo and Juliet, or the updated Romeo and Juliet with Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, and My sister was obsessed with that movie it's it's pretty damn good like you know it's i think it's a really good adaptation of romeo and juliet Mm -hmm. um which also had john leguizamo in it Um, (laughs) but moulin rouge follows a young english poet christian who falls in love with a uh courtesan satine who is the star of the moulin rouge which translates to the Red Mill and was a famous uh, cabaret or uh, brothel um, in the very end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s. Um, And the film uses uh, the musical setting of the uh, Montemarger, Montemarche. I I didn't do French. I did Spanish in high school. Uh, Same. um, This lovely quarter of Paris. uh, And I guess it is the final part of Baz Luhrmann's Red Curtain trilogy. Mm -hmm. Um, And now... I have not seen seen Strictly Ballroom. Um, Have Have you? you? Uh, A long, long time ago, my... Uh, we used to own it on VHS uh, until my parents, uh, against my will, got rid of almost yep. all the VHS. Yep. So, frust- so, frustrating. so frustrating. So um, frustrating. <laughs> I only remember the line for the movie where this woman is like, I've been dancing for two years, but I haven't got a partner yet. I don't know why I remember that line, but I just do. Um, my attempt at an Australian accent. Ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, do, I've heard it's referenced a lot in a, on Dancing with the Stars. Have you heard it referenced on oh. there? Um, I'm sure it has been. Um, I don't remember that it has been. Mm. Um, but I can definitely, you know, hear that as a thing. Yeah. And uh, so with the Red Curtain trilogy, each of them... Uh, the three films, they have a different theater motif. They're unrelated otherwise. Oh, Strictly, okay. Yep. Uh, Strictly Ballroom, it, it's dance. Romeo and Juliet, poetry. And then Moulin Rouge, song. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, very cool. Yeah, um, I... Honestly, um, I I think I've heard of Strictly Ballroom. I love movies that include singing and dancing. Um, I, it's I really, a really do. it's a really acclaimed movie. It has like like ninety two on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, but yeah, I just uh, I haven't seen that one yet. Um, yeah, I mean, as as I said before, a friend I used to have said, you know, if it doesn't have a song or dance break in it, then 
it's not a movie Jesse owns. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's pretty true. Um, but that's that's really good to know about Strictly Ballroom. So yeah. I will have to check that out. Do you know if it's streaming anywhere? I I don't. Oh, I have my phone right in front of me. I can check. Oh, okay. Um, so this was a co-production of Australia and the United States. Um, and it does star Nicole Kidman, Ewan McGregor, John Leguizamo, Jim Broadbent, and Richard Roxburgh, which we will uh, check off on Jim Broadbent. Actually, no, I'm going to talk about him right now. Just kidding. Um, so Jim Broadbent is actually my that actor for this movie. Um, he was almost mine. <laughs> I... The name kind of pinged in my brain, but I couldn't remember from where. And to be quite frank, uh, Henry Ziegler scared me a bit in this movie. Um, <laughs> I, I've i never been afraid of clowns. It, well, until Twisty in American Horror Story Season 5. Um, and I, I'm not usually afraid of large boisterous men but i guess pair the two and you know it it was a little scary um maybe the fact of how in your face he was Mm -hmm. i i don't know but um it it was a bit off-putting for me um but jim broadbent we have actually talked about him before um he's been in a whole mess of films um apparently he was the voice on teletubbies um (laughs) which one uh it just says voice trumpet slash announcer so oh okay yeah all right yeah i know i know who they're talking about by the way um i didn't watch teletubbies so i don't know yeah me neither uh by the way strictly ballroom you can stream for free on crackle Ooh. okay cool well I implore you to check it out, dear listeners. Um, Jim Broadbent was on Game of Thrones as the Archmaester Ebros. Um, he was in the Bridget Jones movies as Bridget's dad. Oh, that's who, right. Yeah, who was who was very, you know, kind of quiet and you know, bumbling and just kind of, uh, just kind of a quiet sort of man. But then, you know, he was Ziedler in this movie. He was um, uh, Henry Butterman in um, Hot Fuzz. Um, And he was Professor Horace Slughorn in the Harry Potter movies. So this guy um, is a pretty uh, Frank Butterman. Sorry, uh, Frank Butterman in Hot Fuzz. Um, but this guy is definitely a chameleon. Um, definitely has a great acting range. And so I, I chose him as my that guy after I watched the movie and looked up who he was. Because I'm like, that name just really sounds familiar. And I'm sure I am glad I picked him. Like he was in, even in uh, Indiana Jones. Uh, and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull as Dean Charles Stanforth. And, like, he has been in tons of movies. And 
started his acting career way at the bottom of the IMDb page at in 1971 when he was an uncredited spectator. Um, <laughs> so he's he's been around for a nice long while. He's doing great for himself. He um, has a lot of roles under his belt. And he has one, two, three roles coming up that are in post-production uh, now in 2021. So, yeah, he's uh, he's chugging along and doing great, it looks like. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. So, um, as I said, I got my notes from IMDb, and I'm just... Covering my butt to make sure they get cited, as we learned in school. Um, but, yeah, and so, kind of going about it. Um, so, this courtesan um, is supposed to entertain this duke who is going to uh, invest in a show that they're working on making. Um, and the courtesan, uh, gets him confused for this poet. And so she starts, um, basically trying to jump this poet's bones. And, uh, and then finds out, you know, that he's this lowly, penniless poet and has the wrong guy and just this scene in general she's overacting and it is so ridiculous mm-hmm. like it just <laughs> it's a headache um anyway the courtesan winds up falling for the poet while having to pretend like she's falling for the duke and um in the production of this show that they're trying to do, um, she and the poet are trying to find ways to sneak around and be together behind the Duke's back. Um, and, you know, it's basically this entire uh, theater is waiting on this show to be made and how it's going to be finished. And, you know, um, eventually the, uh, the beans get spilled on the poet and courtesan and the Duke wants the ending changed. Um, and he, he calls the courtesan up to his room for dinner at one point and, you know, is like, you know, you're mine, you're going to be mine and I will have you. And does some pretty despicable, horrible things. And um, throughout this entire thing, the courtesan has been sick. And she's been having fainting spells and coughing up blood. And uh, in the end, um, she tries to send the poet off before he gets killed by the duke. And, um, you know, he comes back to confront... Satine, uh, Nicole Kidman's character, the courtesan. And uh, he he's like, well, you know, here's my money. 
you know, I want time with you. Here's here's money since this is all you care about since you're so in love with the Duke. And, um, you know, uh, in the end, they finish the show and Satine dies. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the uh, summary of the movie in a nutshell that I can put together <laughs> by my own memories. Um, that's a really good uh, succinct uh, summary. Thank you. I just watched it last night. So, um, can I ask Jess when did you first see this movie? Oh gosh, I first saw this movie. Mm, I know I did not watch it in theater, um, because as much as I was in choir and I was in shows in school, um, I was trying to be, like, not the girly girl type of girl, I was a tough girl, and, you know, a musical drama kissing movie ew i'm not going to that ew they're kissing ew yeah no um (laughs) i it just it did not draw my attention as much as um chicago did um i oh i love chicago so much and i wish we could have fit it into this month but unfortunately we did not we'll get Um, to it eventually yeah I mean, we'll we'll get in somewhere down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I oh gosh, I know I saw it a few years after, and I had a friend who was just raving about it, so I mm-hmm. you know, I had to take a chance and see it. Um, how about you? When did you first see this? Uh, in its entirety, just two days ago. I do. Um, okay. I have kind of an odd relationship with this movie, so. I first heard of it. Um, I first heard what the Moulin Rouge was. I, so I guess there's like a new, or there was like a, a newer Moulin Rouge in Paris where, okay, so you're on the Travel Channel. There was this show around the, around 2000. It was called Secrets. Mm. It was, it was prefaced like it was some kind of late night, like, Cinemax HBO type thing was like secrets like that. (laughs) And they're like the new, the Moulin Rouge where key roles are only given to those willing to go topless, like scandalous. So, uh, I saw this movie, the poster for this movie, uh, in, uh, one of the theaters when I, when I was, so like 2001, when I was still, you know, a kid in Duluth and it was the, you know, the, the classic logo with the tagline where it's like this movie's about, you know, dance, you know, like whatever the quote is that uh, Ewan McGregor says. But most importantly, this is about love. I don't think Ewan oh, McGregor yes. said that. But yeah, you know, that quote. And then it showed them, you know, making out, you know, him and Nicole Kidman, mm-hmm. uh, Satine, uh, kissing under the windmill. And I always thought she looked like either Uma Thurman or Madonna from that angle. I didn't think I, it looked I think like Nicole Kidman. meant to look a little bit like Madonna. I know they definitely took some um, liberties. Uh, I was wondering about that. 
Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. A big list of actors or actresses were considered for her role. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like Drew Barrymore, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Courtney, Courtney Love. Love. Who did you read about that whole? Uh, yeah. How, how mad I can imagine, like how she, you know, hand. I mean, we, she didn't handle it well. Obviously, I mean, it's but Courtney she, Love. Yeah. She handled it her way. Yeah, but she did let you know. Smells like Teen Spirit. Yep. Up here and there, and uh, anyways, so so I saw that, and I'm like, okay, so this is you know a romantic drama. All right. Uh, fast forward a few months later, and the Lady Marmalade music video premieres, which that is iconic yes. in and of itself. If you yes. if you know nothing else about this movie, the Lady Marmalade with uh, all the the freaking you know early two thousands pop roy like pop R and B royalty you had christine aguilera yep. uh pink yep um uh maya maya yep. uh who was the the other one uh kim lil kim lil kim yep and, and um and missy elliott yes everyone forgets that she was in that too but uh, she was. no uh no thank you no you will not forget that she is in this no nope. exactly and yeah, and I remember watching that, and I'm like, this does not look like it fits with a romantic comedy at all. Yeah. So when it came out, you know, I kind of learned more about it. I'm like, okay, so it's kind of its own thing. So that's Well, it didn't say it was a romantic comedy. Or, I mean, a romantic drama. Yeah. I should say, which, I mean, it technically is, but a couple of the genres are thrown in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my exposure, and yeah, I... I Saw it in its entire. I watched like the first part. My sister had it on uh, VHS, so I watched a little bit of it there, but never the whole thing. I knew like kind of what happened to it and what, and you know, the sad ending. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think I think that's one of the things that put me off of this movie as well is that you know as much of a fan as I am about. Um, non-Hollywood endings, I guess, um, having Satine die in the end was a little much to me, but I understand Mm -hmm. it as part of the story. Yeah. And she, she died of, uh, tuberculosis at the time. It was called consumption. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Very, very deadly disease. If, uh, for people that have recently seen, uh, Parasite, Mm -hmm. uh, that's what they were kind of, like, they reference that in that movie yeah a bit. She, should, uh, she should also not be around a bunch of people if she's got tb no <laughs> right and they never they never really played that up because it's extremely contagious well and... they they didn't really say what she had um in the movie so mm-hmm. i yeah i just Knowing that it's TB, she should not have been selling herself. Um, no. Or around that many people. But, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, she hid it as best as she could and, you know, died in the end. TB can be, you know, deadly if you don't catch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why they do yearly tests, especially for 
uh, disabled people and PCAs. Yeah. Because uh, they don't want that to get around. Uh, but it's yeah. Especially vulnerable for the homeless populations. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, have you seen the movie Across the Universe? I own that. Oh, yeah, you do. That's right. My, uh, my that, partner really likes it. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a lot of this. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I can see that, but less glitz and glamour. Mm-hmm. Very, very toned down. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I always love this, uh, this period in history. So it's 1899, 1900. Yep. Uh, the reason I do is because it's kind of like the furthest back you can go in history where there still technically are people alive. Not anymore, though. Which is odd because the oldest person in the world is from like January 1903. Oh. Right now. Yeah, a woman in Japan. And huh. it's just, it's kind of interesting to think that, you know, that like nobody in the world is, you know, alive from this, you know, when this took yeah. place. Yeah. And they were, you know, in our lifetime, of course. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. All right. So I'm going to pull back to my notes here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just kind of took notes as I was going. Um, and we can talk about as much or as little that we want to of these. Um, <laughs> uh, so the first thing I took note of uh, was in the opening credits of this very animated conductor. Yes. I don't, like, it was impossible to pay attention to the credits because of how animated this was. Mm-hmm. Um, he just, he was going so crazy. Like, it just, it, it was just wild. Um, it, it was, it was pretty fun to check out. Yeah. Um, I always like kind of, I like kind of the um, what they did with the the was it Fox logo? Yeah, yeah. I was I always love when movies kind of do unique things with the logos. Yeah, yeah. My favorite ever was. Do you remember with uh, Orphan? As if I, you know, another thing I love about that movie where they did like the the fluorescent paint. Oh, I don't remember on the Warbucks logo. Oh, it was because you remember the the paint, the fluorescent paint yeah. that yep. you use. Yep, they use that for the Warner Brothers logo. It looked so cool. Oh, yeah. Okay, very yeah, I cool. I love it when they do that. All right. So uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about was soundtracks. Um, there were actually two soundtracks released for Moulin Rouge. Um, so the very first one had. Um, not as many of the songs that were in the movie on them. Um, and I actually had this version and I listened to it quite a bit. Um, My sister might have, I think. She had one of them for sure. Yeah. And uh, it it did have a number of songs from it, but... Like, it's listing the Elephant Love medley here that it, I know for sure, did not have. Because that's, like, my favorite song in the movie. One of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're all so great. Um, so it's a little, a little difficult to pick just one. But um, I, I like the, um, 
cadence and the storyline through uh, the Elephant Love medley. Um, but I, I really liked that they used a lot of like <laughs> modern songs and then worked some opera into them as well. Um, I thought it was a really cool like fusion of the two that you don't usually hear. Right. Um, and really, really helped make it appeal to, you know, more modern audiences, I guess. Um, and kind of going along that, I had a question, which was how much singing was done by the actors. Um, I wasn't able to find a lot of information on this um i know you and mcgregor and nicole kidman did their own singing um right. i i mean john leguizamo didn't really sing but he you know said lines which you know pretty sure he did his own um yeah so i i am guessing you know that the rest of the ensemble had some singing chops to be part of this, you know, Mm -hmm. at least I would hope so, you know, kind of birds and stones, but, oh goodness, um, excuse me, but yeah, I just, you know, I, I was hoping to find more information and dear listeners if you have any information on it that i couldn't find um or you know maybe you worked on the movie or who knows uh (laughs) you can email us at fightingfilmspod at gmail.com and you will go directly to me um we'd love to hear from you don't be shy yes we would i am waiting um but the next note i have is this takes place in the bohemian world and uh the bohemians are called the children of the revolution um and it's basically a bunch of um artists that just you know want to do what they want to do and um they're just they're kind of taking it back from being this you know overworked proper world um basically and uh actually in the beginning when we meet uh christian um and the gentleman falls through his ceiling um they're practicing a show that they're making that's set in uh switzerland mm-hmm. uh, and basically they're making the sound of music and they're they're trying to figure out how to put it together and they find out Christian can sing from him, you know, because he's a writer, you know, they're trying to figure out what's a good opening line and he, you know, nobody's listening to him talking. So he comes out with the hills are alive <laughs> with the sound of music. I did and, a double uh, take with that first. Like what? Am I hearing that right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, the music licensing for this movie must have been insane. I would oh, love to know yeah. what it cost. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you are the facts guy. So, I mean, that's... I have no idea, quite I honestly. I couldn't find anything about an IMDb. Uh, yeah, well, just... I mean, 
even just looking at the costumes alone and the sets, mm-hmm. like just even just the costumes alone are above and beyond. Um, yeah, it, it, it deservingly won the Oscar for that. Yeah, for well, costuming I mean, and production design. Even the budget for top hats had to be ridiculous. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, there was uh, Nicole Kidman's uh, necklace. Yes. That she wore was the most expensive one ever worn in a film. Yes. It was like like three million, something yes. like that. Yeah. Uh, hundred hundred thirty three million. Yeah, um, hundred thirty eight yeah, diamonds, is, yeah. Yeah, this is the one that I wanted to talk about. Um it was designed by Stefano Canturi, who is a Sydney jeweler. Um and when the necklace got torn off Satine, a uh, quote-unquote stunt double was made, which featured crystal instead of diamonds. Um, That's just like uh, Ocean's 8. Oh, yeah? yeah? Yeah. Have you not seen that? No. Oh, it's so good. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> not really, actually, but yeah. Yeah, so I guess the crystal version was displayed for a public jewelry exhibit, and the mm. diamond version is in the hands of a private collector. So it's but it's he has around a, in a guarded, you know, room with like you know the lasers. Uh, who says it's a he? A woman could have that, or, or she. Yeah. Yep. Mary. Yep. Um. So next, I have uh, stop listening to dad. Um. He he keeps, you know, in the beginning, he keeps, like, going back to, you know, his dad harping on him for wanting to find love and this and that. And it's like, you're not with your parents anymore. Knock it off. Go. You know, you're in this bohemian heaven. Go. Have fun. Do some soul searching. Like, shake off what your dad said. Go learn some life lessons. Yeah, that felt go, a little too... Go do you. I mean, I guess the movie was going, you know, because it was kind of, like, timeless in a way with all, like, you know, the modern songs Yeah. in here. And and that whole thing, yeah, felt kind of more like something you'd see in, like, like the 50s with, like, the beatniks. Yeah. But it's, I mean, and, it's probably what they were trying to go for. Yeah, and I get that, you know, when your parents give you advice, you should listen, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're out there chasing your dreams, sowing your oats, making your own memories, you don't always have to revert back to what your parents said. Exactly. You know? And you're going to live and learn. You know, um, life is not a dress rehearsal. Like, this is it, and life is what you make of it. So mm-hmm. you're either going to, you know, stay and just, you know be scared of everything and not you know get those adventures or you know you're gonna head on out and you're gonna you know find out what works and what doesn't and just uh i guess just you know as i said you know stop listening to dad because like if it was just a little bit you know it would be fine but it it went on longer than it should have like I don't need to see that much of your dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I get it. Your dad doesn't want you falling in love and 
just, just ugh. Um, so anyway, after watching um, basically the opening and the opening numbers, um, or even just that first opening number, uh, you will learn very quickly that this movie is in your face. Yes. <laughs> oh, this boy. This movie is very much in your face. Um, yeah, there's, there is no hiding from this movie. This movie is grand glam and beyond over the top. It is over the big top, I'm going to say. Um, it's, over the, it's over Everest. Yes. It is, you know, interstellar at this point. Like, mm-hmm. they went above and beyond. And yes, it's a good movie. It is a good um, story. But, whoo! Woo-hoo! Definitely went way, way over. Mm-hmm. Um, so, at one point, uh, they take absinthe. Um and absinthe is also known as meeting the green fairy. Mm-hmm. Or uh, chasing the dragon is another yep. one. Uh, uh, I always think of when I think of absinthe, the movie uh, From Hell, which is amazing oh. if you've never seen it. Um, um, I I haven't seen it in a really long time, but it makes well, you me have, like a hero right, trip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I... I wasn't really, expe- I mean, I, I didn't try it when I was in Europe, but I was like, you know, open to it. I didn't even do any pot when I was there. Had uh, to leave the next day from Amsterdam, so it's kind of like, eh, you know, I had to catch my flight. I've um, tried the American version, and there's not There's an American to- version? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's probably like a third of the proof or whatever. I don't know. There's not much to it. It doesn't taste great. Didn't see any fairies. So, Did you do the sugar cube? Uh, I took a spoonful of sugar. Ah, uh, made the so, medicine go down. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you for mentioning that. And the green fairy is my that actress, uh, yeah, Kylie Minogue, or actually that actress slash singer. Um, she's had a real kind of on off uh, career, especially in the states. I mean, she's bigger in Australia. She did the uh, the uh, the nineteen eighty nine, I think it was remake of the Locomotion yes. song. Yup, and she had a resurgence then in the well. Then she switched to acting mainly in the nineties. She was in the uh, uh, Street Fighter movie. Oh, was she? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then in the early two thousand, she kind of had a resurgence in music. Again, uh, with Can't Get You Out of My Head. Yes. And the really underrated, one of my favorite music videos of the 2000s, Come Into My World. Do you remember that one? No. It loops, so so she's walking around on the street in what I assume is London, and like she loops around the neighborhood, and every time she loops around, uh, the verse like starts over again, and there's another one of her like walks out the door, and there's like more people each time. I think it's a statement on overpopulation, but that's just me. Uh, yeah, no, really I, cool I definitely remember uh, Can't Get You Out of My Head. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I really liked that one. Um, yeah. I, I don't remember anything else she's done besides locomotion. 
Mm-hmm. I know her more for her acting than singing. Yeah, what else? Yeah, I, I, nothing else really jumped out at me from what she was in. I looked before, I'll look again. I know she's been in a couple other things, at least. Her sister, D- Danny Minogue, was kind of controversial. Like, after the Indonesian tsunamis, she said some kind of racist remarks. Ooh. Yeah. That's not a good look. No. No, it's not. Filmography. Yeah, nothing Nothing really else jumps out other than those. Uh like an episode of Doctor Who. Oh yeah, she was in um have you seen San Andreas with The Rock? Yes. Yeah, she was in that movie. Okay. Her character died pretty quickly if I remember. Okay. Um I just, I feel like she was in something else too, but I can't put my finger on it. Probably. With uh, the absinthe, and I'm always curious with drug use in PG-13 movies, you know, because with me, how I, you know, I, I do know a bit about like the the uh, MPAA with their standards for movies for ratings. Yes. Supposedly for a, for a PG-13 for drug use, you can't actually show someone doing like hard drugs, like you have to like cut away when someone's snorting cocaine or, you know, shooting heroin um, which, by the way, as someone, you know, who's such a huge horror fan, and I can watch, you know, like, heads getting chopped off left and right. Yeah. Watching someone shoot heroin or any kind of, like, hard drug into their arm, that makes, like, I have to look away for that. That makes me cringe. Mm. Like, that's hard for me. Well, thankfully, but, nothing like that happened in this movie. No. The, um... What I was trying to say, though, is for a PG-13 movie for drug use, you have to show consequences of the drug, like negative consequences of the drug use for it to uh, pass for PG-13. Um, didn't they just show like a little trip or something? I feel like there was like just a quick buzz about a little little trip or something that they that's went what on. i thought too or yeah, like I, spun I out yeah i don't really think there was any negative consequences so that this movie was pretty hard for a pg-13 i thought yeah yeah it, i don't know i i don't think there was much that made it a pg-13 really i mean we got i think uh, nicole kidman's or uh Satine's scene with the duke Yes. That might that... be my favorite non-musical number scene in the movie. Really? Oh, that was that was so tough. And we we will check off on that. We will get to it, I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, so my next my next note that we've already kind of talked about is uh Ziedler is kind of scary. He he is a very large, brusque, colorful animated in your face kind of man um and he kind of uh he kind of takes care of the moulin rouge and he's you know the ringmaster and takes care of you know his star and um like you see in the uh diamond dogs number um 
you know, when they're inside changing um, to get to the next outfit in the number, like they're having a conversation and, you know, he, he cares about her and, you know, that she's feeling okay, that, you know, she needs to meet this Duke and here's all the information you need about him and what kind of guy he is and, you know, oh, he's over there and uh, Toulouse is shaking a hanky at him and that's where the confusion starts. Um, but also in them changing is my next note that says so much crinoline. Oh, goodness. Uh, what crinoline, is crinoline? Oh. Crinoline, if you don't know, <laughs> is um, the like layers under a skirt that kind of make the skirt more full. Um, it's, mm. it was worn a lot, like, in the 1950s before, like, pencil skirts came in, um, or, like, the 1940s-ish, um, but also usually under wedding dresses. Wedding dresses usually have some crinoline underneath to make them look more poofy and full, um, and most of the time crinoline is just white, but they, uh, dyed crinoline a bunch of different colors to be eye-catching and you know keep up with the colorful themes of the movie um and lady marmalade is during this scene and i i'm probably going to put the link for the music video in absolutely um because it is so good so good like it it was such an uproar when this music video came out because i guess there was beef between pink and maya at some point um, i didn't know that yeah yep there is some beef that pink and maya had before and so to have them work together on this was such a big deal but then you know reporters tried to spin it out of control that oh you know uh christina is mad that you know so and so got you know this musical part or you know little kim is angry that you know so and so had more lines in the song than she did and it, it just it's so mm -hmm. dumb because it turned out so well and it looks like they had so much fun um oh, like yeah. even, even the costumes were great and i want to say they performed it on the vmas that year um probably i know they did like one or two live performances of it and it was uh so fantastic just chef's kiss like definitely one of the great music videos out there mm -hmm. of, the, of the early 2000s for sure I, i'm just gonna say in general because with this many single artists all female collaborating on a song where the main chorus translates to will you come home with me tonight How about um, is, do you want to sleep with me I was trying to be nice about it, but yes, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, basically, do you want to sleep with me tonight? Um, actually, I used to watch Gilmore Girls, and there was a funny bit where uh, Lorelai's parents had, like, I don't know, a French guy and his wife, 
uh, for dinner, and she's like, well, all I know how to say is, uh, voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir? And they got all offended, and they're like, Lorelai, do you know what you even just said? And she's like, what? <laughs> no, it's from Moulin Rouge. Like, it's a song. I don't know. And most people don't. Um, and so, like, they, they came out with the translation to it when this song came out because so many people were singing it, like just little girls and, you know, parents and just all these people. I mean, because it's just a line in a song. It doesn't right. mean anything. No, and again, it never means And again, anything. you know, I was, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I was like in my first year of Spanish at the time and I didn't know any many other people who like spoke, you know, took French. Someone I think I was first pointed that out funny enough in youth group at church. Ah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that sounds like something they would point out. Yeah. Oh, it was it was one of my um uh not one of my leaders, but one of the uh girls that was like a year older than me, I think. Ah. Uh, uh. Okay. Was was she trying to get you to go home with her? <laughs> Sadly, no. She uh, she met her husband, or now husband, uh, really, actually in our youth group. So, oh, yep, I, I didn't stand a right. chance, unfortunately. Well, go then. Yes. You know, congratulations on a long and slightly happy relationship. I have no idea. I don't know yeah. who they are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they certainly weren't shy with PDA when we went on trips. I'm just going to say that much. Mm. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, my next point was costuming and so many top hats, which we have already talked about a lot. Um, can you tell I have a slight obsession with top hats? I love top hats. You did all. And, uh, um, I just, I, I grew up going to the circus and so, you know, the ringmaster wore top hat and, um, my grandfather was a Mason. So there were times when he, you know, would wear a top hat. And I mean, I have an obsession with hats, period. I have a wide collection of hats and I should wear them more, but I don't, um, but there's just something about top hats. And uh, my friend Nate actually has a really nice wool one uh, that I got to try on and take a picture in. And it's actually one of my favorite pictures of me, which I might toss up on Instagram. Um, Have I met Nate? I don't think so. I think he moved to mm. L.A. before you and I started hanging out. Uh. Um Oh, but you have heard him. He's He's been in a few movies and stuff. He's the one who was talking about um, Quentin Tarantino got a mariachi band when he was on All the right. set of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he was saying how, you know, he's a pretty nice guy. And um, I think he was saying that about Brad Pitt as well. Um. But yeah, but the costuming in this movie is fantastic. Like, especially um, Satine's outfit for uh, the Diamond Dogs number when she first comes down on the trapeze. It is 
gorgeous and uh, mm-hmm. I'm in a costuming group on Facebook and there was a girl replicating that costume and she did an amazing job and oh. Can, I, oh, can I just make an observation speaking of like replicating costumes sure. from this movie it comes as a surprise to me especially you know since I'm I'm not really involved in you know drag and burlesque circles but you know I've like dip my foot in a bit as you as you know uh i'm amazed that this movie does not have as much of a following at least to my observation in those circles like people don't replicate it it really surprises me like the like the um the like a virgin number (laughs) like that should be a camp like masterpiece by that should be iconic and it, it just Surprise! It just kind of surprises me. Uh, the Virgin number is a duet, so I mean that's difficult to do. Um, but also, um, just a the level of costuming in this movie, like even even the other um, brothel workers, sex workers, um. Like, I mean, if you look at their costumes, it's a corset, a skirt, a crinoline, knickers, tights, heels. Like, that's, you know, six pieces right there. And, you know, if you're going for something that's um, replicant of a show, you know, you're trying to get specific colors and specific looks and things like that which is a bit difficult to do um but i do understand where you're coming from it's just besides costuming the level of physicality in most of these numbers Mm -hmm. is off the charts and holy crap did they did that take a toll on the cast oh yeah like there's there's uh probably i think a third or a quarter of the movie uh, that whenever you see Nicole Kidman shot from the shoulders up, she's in a wheelchair because she yep. got uh, cracked ribs or bruised ribs from a number. And like, there's so much physicality in these dance numbers. I can see why a lot of drag performers don't. Um, but I also wonder if they stay away from numbers like this because they don't want to go into the show tune trope. Because um, hmm. most of the time when I've seen drag shows, they don't do show tunes unless it's a show tune specific show. So that's, I don't know. I guess that's just what I'm used to. Um <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I've seen people replicate stuff from or songs from Chicago. I mean, that's I not haven't. like. The, so, I feel like I, I have. I've seen someone do all that jazz. I feel like. Oh, well, yeah. cool. I would love to see that, but mm-hmm. I haven't. Um, I've been meaning to get out to a show tunes specific drag show, but I just haven't yet. That mm-hmm. and a lot of times it centers around. Uh, Bette Midler, and I don't know a lot of Bette Midler's line of work. 
Teen is sick, and uh, there's only a few people at the uh, Moulin Rouge that know, and uh, she just has to keep going because she's the star of the show, and she doesn't get paid unless she performs. So gotta work for that money. Yep, gonna make it work, 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 work. Um, so, you know, when she goes to meet the Duke in her, uh, elephant suite, if you (laughs) will, um, uh, Ewan McGregor, um, or, uh, Christian is in there waiting to talk to her and read her some poetry, and she's going absolutely gaga over this, and, you know, absolutely loves it, and oh my god, it's driving her wild, and at one point she supposedly opens his pants and sees that he has a big uh, talent, um, <laughs> but that's not what he's there for, and then come to find out that... He's not the one that she's supposed to be seeing, and in comes the Duke. And I have on here, uh, the Duke is Weasley. Not as in Ron and Ginny and Fred and George, but he is Weasley looking. Um, he just, he looks like a weasel. Yes, um, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, oh, I also have a note here about uh, the Bohemian guys climbing up the elephant, which was pretty funny in physical comedy, but they had to have some really good traction on their shoes to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But just in this one scene, there was so much physical comedy. I mean, between, I mean, Nicole Kidman herself, like you don't usually see this level of physicality. When she acts, um, like I ha- I own the movie Nine, which is a musical, and mm-hmm. she is one of the stars of, and you know she doesn't act anywhere close to this much, uh, or physically do anywhere as close to this much. I mean, she's writhing on the bed, rolling on the floor, you know, hiding. Uh, Christian behind her legs and, and every you know, way, like every crevice practically that's when I yeah. said that was my favorite part one of my favorite scenes in the movie I meant yeah this just hiding him <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and basically um, directing Christian while keeping the Duke entertained uh, quote unquote um, mm-hmm. just you know I this is probably the most physicality I have ever seen from Nicole Kidman ever um and absolutely she, she did a great job and there really is a lot of physical comedy uh in this movie um i mean between the narcoleptic what uh argentinian guy mm-hmm. and you know um the elephant love medley just basically doing the entire show in a nutshell you know trying to pull it together um just there's so much uh, especially just in this one scene um and there are a lot of indian influences in this and no i'm not talking about native americans i'm speaking mm-hmm. out i'm speaking about 
Indian and the India culture and people and um, just the influences from the color palette to uh, the points to the belly dancing to the costuming and the uh, even the headwear. Um, it just it was kind of a really cool um, way to go with it um, to be so different. Um, I'm not entirely sure how close France is to India. Um, but with just, just taking, taking all those influences from India, um, you know, even the elephant, you know, elephants are, uh, I'm not going to say worshipped, but well-liked and well-thought-of um, in uh, the Indian culture. You know, I just think it was definitely, you know, a really interesting way to go about it and have, like, basically uh, an entire setup. <laughs> um, just more Indian-influenced um, instead of, you know, going, you know, south of the border or, you know, any, any number of different ways. I just, you know, the, I think the Indian influences were a wonderful, um, way to bring out the colors and make things pop and really be eye-catching um, in, you know, in the Elephant Love Suite and in, you know, this production and them going with, like, a Maharaja and a sitar player and things like that um, instead of going, you know, back into Knights or... Uh, just more European culture, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, and basically they go through the show in a nutshell and figure out the entire thing on a whim, you know, as they do this elephant love medley. And I, again, it's one of my favorite, it's probably my favorite number in the movie. And I just thought it was really great. Um, then we move on to uh, Fly Away, or One Day I'll Fly Away. Mm. Um, and it just basically boils down that Satine is just a bird in a cage, you know, like she has by her vanity. She's got, you know, a bird in a cage, and she is one as well. You know, she would love to get out of this, but she can't. And so, I never really put that together, and that's great symbolism yeah um and actually i've done that song at karaoke before and you um, know sometimes you just want to get away or escape but i mean satine with this whole life like she wants to get out and escape but she can't she can't afford to and with her being you know the most beautiful glamorous the most whatever um you know she's forced to entertain men and you know b 
be sold to the highest bidder, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to try and guess the budget for this movie. I found it right now. You might have already found it. Um, $12.3 million. Oh, no, it's higher than that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Fifty million, which still seems low. Um, I mean, for for a Nicole Kidman starring movie, I mean, she was already really big. I I suppose. I mean, she she was already really big, but yeah. in two thousand one, what was she really doing? I guess. Is more my question. Well, Tom Cruise. Uh, <laughs> I doubt that, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, hush, hush, hush! You don't want to get you want Scientology to sue you. Scientology can science suck it, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know specifically what she had going on in two thousand one. Um, it was a good summer for her because the uh, the others. Came I was out I was that going to say I feel like the others was around that mm-hmm. time. Um, and two years before was Eyes Wide Shut. Ah, okay. So she was still in kind of like the Tom Cruise web. Mm-hmm. Um, when did she leave him and get with? Was it Keith Urban? Yeah, it was like not long after, probably like 2002. Yeah. So, I don't know. And when was Bewitched made? Because I know that one was a stinker. Yeah, (laughs) like 2005, I think. Yeah. I love the... uh, (laughs) I've never seen that movie. I haven't either. The uh, Family Guy parodied that tra- the scene from the trailer where where there she's dancing with Will Ferrell and she's like I'm a guess what I'm a witch and he's like guess what I'm a Clippers fan oh and yeah Stewie like he he's like in the, a movie theater and he's like hmm hmm and then he like it's a long long cutaway and he like walks to a store buys a ladder goes to the airport gets on a plane flies to LA then goes to Will Ferrell's house, rings the doorbell, climbs up on the ladder. When Will Ferrell opens the door, he punches him, and he's like, that's not funny! <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I have heard that that movie was not great. Um, yeah. I know she did The Stepford Wives, which was not lauded as great either you know i liked I, it. I liked it um but then again you know who are we <laughs> right uh she she and tom cruise divorced in 2001 by the way okay so she was going through that uh while she was promoting this movie basically mm-hmm. yikes well at least she had something to you know keep her mind off of it you know, right. There's something else to think about instead of just this. And I don't know, uh, from what I've heard, when Katie Holmes 
was divorcing Tom Cruise. Um, I know she had a heck of a time getting Surrey away from Scientology. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't, I don't even want to know kind of what, what even going through that is like. I know I've watched um, the Leah Remini mm-hmm. show and. Like, even that is just wild and how brainwashed some people really are. Like, it just, it's, it's amazing that that can happen and so easily. Um, Yeah. But yeah. And so, um, you know, they, uh, she finally meets the Duke. Um, and they start having a relationship, um, while she's sneaking around with, uh, the, um, writer, Christian, um, and as I said before, finding different reasons to go sneak off with him, like, uh, a song changed, or, you know, we have to rehearse this. We have to run these lines or rehearse this new scene or et cetera, et cetera. And basically they're just, they're sneaking around. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, well, well, they're sneaking around. uh, uh, Mr. Ziedler actually catches them making out through a window. Um, And so he calls him out and he's like, hey. You know, knock it off. You're not supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be with the Duke. And she's like, but I love him. And he's like, well, too bad. You know, we we need this money. You know, we this is, you know, what you're here for. This is, you know, this is who you're supposed to be with. This is what you do. Um, And then comes the uh, Like a Virgin can-can number. <laughs> Which um, I thought was really great. I was very pleasantly surprised to see uh, men doing the can-can. Because you don't normally see mm-hmm. men doing the can-can. And I just, I thought it was really great. Um, and at one point, they have boobs made of jello <laughs> That they show very briefly on the screen. Um, which is like, it's pretty much blink and you'll miss it, but that's, that's some talent right there. Like if you've ever tried to make anything out of Jell-O, um, I was never any good at it. Um, I never, I did not notice that actually. Really? (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's really quick blink and you'll miss it, but like. At the tip, they were, like, a darker color for, like, the nipple. And then, like, the rest of it was lighter and circular to be, you know, in a breast shape. And um, they were in pairs. So they were definitely (laughs) meant to be a pair of breasts. Um, But that, that, like, a virgin number was really great. Um, It... You know, it's still part of Moulin Rouge. It's still completely overdone. Um, But you really get to see a lot 
more of how dark and devious the uh, Duke is. Yeah, I I can't say like enough about this number. It it was really great, and between you know Ziedler and the Duke, the you know dancing and chemistry, like I mean, it's it's foreshadowing to what happens with Satine later on with the Duke. Like there's there's points where the Duke who is dressed up kind of like a woman is trying to run away and get away from the Duke. Like this guy is not a good guy. No. But you know, at this point I feel like, you know, Ziedler should say something, but he doesn't. And um He's not looking out for Satine. He's looking out for money and the show and the theater and what's going to get this done. Um, and so Christian and Satine decide that they need a special secret song that whenever they hear it or sing it or hum it or anything... Um, they'll think of it and think of how much they love each other. So come what may uh, comes out of that. And um, they're up on stage um, performing it. And this jealous uh, chorus girl, more or less, who uh, who's kind of like the second I guess she would be the next in line um that would be my guess anyway since she seemed to be kind of like the most the most seen after uh mm-hmm. Satine um basically you know spills the beans to the duke like oh you know why would she want some silly writer oh I mean sitar player when she's got you know the maharaja and uh kind of clues the duke into what's going on and he wants the um ending changed um and tells satine that she's going to join him for dinner she does not need to uh rehearse anymore today she's going to be joining him for dinner in the uh, Gothic Tower, <laughs> um, which is the perfect name for it. It's pretty, yes. pretty damn gothic, and mm-hmm. it is amazing and gorgeous. And a um, tower. <laughs> and a tower, yes. It does have that going for it. It is a tower. Um, except the outside looks very... It looks more steampunk to me than gothic, but... Mm-hmm. No big. Um, at this point, I asked, why are all the Bohemian guys bald? Um, and I was trying to look this up before we started talking about this. But just suddenly in the middle of the movie, like the three like writer, musician guys are just bald. And I'm like, I I don't know why this is. I don't know if this is solidarity or so that you can't tell them apart or what I don't get it but they all kind of look alike at this point um 
And maybe if you readers know or uh, listeners know, you're not reading, you're listening. You listen with your ears. Um, I just, I don't know. It's just, it's so wild that they're bald all of a sudden with no rhyme or reason. Yeah. Um, And as I said, I tried to look online, could not find any anything about it so i just i don't know it was kind of kind of odd um but talking about this gothic tower and this dinner oh my word the decor in this tower is gorgeous um i identify as pastel goth you know i i like the dark dreary stuff but i like the colorful stuff too but you know i'm I'm dark and I don't laugh and I'm dead inside and completely evil. Um, but I still like rainbows and that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of a all encompassing weirdo in and of itself, I guess. Um, but at this point, when Satine goes to have dinner with the Duke, they, uh, the Argentinian, is talking to the dancers who are all sitting around basically waiting to hear how this dinner went to see if this show is going to go on and um he does a Roxanne number that is very different from the was it the police that did Roxanne or just Sting um I think it was the police okay um yeah like the the version of this is just so gritty but gorgeous like it just oh it's so good and um the juxtaposition of it between Satine's dinner with the duke and the dance number with all these dancers is just is amazing um you know, two completely different, you know, scenes going on at the same time that are very similar to each other. Um, just this, this was so well done and so well edited together. It just, it was fantastic. Um, and unfortunately, the Duke thinks women are to be owned and he's going to take what he wants from Satine and uh, basically rips her clothes off down to her corset and um, garters and pushes her on the bed and at the very last second she is saved by my MVP for the movie. Um, it, his name in the movie is Le Chocolat. Um, he is the pretty much the only like darkly colored person in the movie. Um, and his name is Diobia Opri Opari. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the only movie that I have seen him in. Um, 
but he is a very attractive person. Um, he's from, he was born in London in 1971, and he was in Game of Thrones, Independence Day, Resurrection, Jumanji, The Next Level, like, he's been in a number of things. He was on an episode of The Orville, he was in Santa Clarita Diet, he was in, um, The Wrath of Man, which is out right now. Um, he was on the TV series Sex Education. Um, so he's, you know, he's been around a bit. Um, you've probably seen him and not completely noticed. Uh, like he was in Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Um, he's been in a good number of things. And I call oh. him my MVP because he is Satine's. Basically, basically, Satine's personal superhero. Mm-hmm. Um, when she passes out while she's up on the trapeze, he catches her. When she's about to get raped by the Duke, he comes in and knocks him out. Like, this guy is on the ball. And I don't know if he's just been, you know, put to it that he's supposed to watch out for her. Or if he is so in love with her that he keeps a constant eye on her. But either way, um, he is my MVP for this movie. Like, honestly, Satine probably wouldn't survive this long if he weren't around. <laughs> I don't think so either. Yeah. Um, and so continuing with this, she is saved from the Duke and taken out of there. The Duke is knocked the fuck out. He's laying on the ground. He's got he's seeing stars and cuckoo birds like I was gonna say pretty much he would be. <laughs> yeah, he's he's <clears throat> down and out. Um now something I noticed that really bothered me is Nicole Kidman's eyes kept changing from green to blue. And oh. not even like a subtle change. Like light green to light blue and it wasn't even with like a costume change or anything it's like in the middle of a scene her eyes will change like you know um you know you look at her one time and her eyes are green and then like later in the scene her eyes are blue and it's like she didn't change or anything and it's like i don't know if they're just trying to figure out what looked better and don't realize that that's in there, but it it drove me a little bonkers. Um, so you can definitely keep an eye out for that. Um, no pun and, intended. <laughs> yeah, no Sorry. kidding. No, it's okay. There was no pun intended. Um, uh-huh. I didn't even think about it, but yes. Uh, um, so at the end, um, Satine convinced Christian to leave and that she doesn't love him. Um, but basically he goes back to pay her for her time with him, you know, and says, you know, thanks for making me or thanks for curing me of my, you know, obsession with love. Um, and he wants to pay her and she's, you know, telling him to just go get out of here, you know, cause she just doesn't want to see him get hurt, uh, by any means. And, um, 
you know, she starts singing their song as he's walking out um, to kind of show that she really does love him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the whole movie plays out and uh, Satine is in the arms of Christian and dies. Mm-hmm. And the end. That's the end. And that's the end of my notes. There is the, uh, well, the part where it flashes ahead like one year later. Where we talked about, you know, where he's writing a story. But that's, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't really feel the need to take notes on it. I mean, hopefully you watch the movie yourself. I didn't discuss every single thing in the movie. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you you see, you know, kind of a, what, epilogue later that, you know, um christian is writing his story and his love is dead and the moulin rouge is now you know in in ruins um and it looks like it has gone out of business and the bohemian heaven that it once was now lo- now no longer is and so mm-hmm. It kind of reminded me of the uh, the flash forward part at the beginning. Well, I mean the if you want to call it that at the beginning and end of uh, Phantom of the Opera. Yes, that's what it reminded me of. Yeah, where the the, the studio was you know closed. Yep, where yeah. they were auctioning off the pieces mm-hmm. of the theater or things yeah. they found in the theater. Which oh my gosh, I love love that movie, and wish I didn't we could re- have fitted in as well. Yeah. I didn't realize until years later that that was Gerard Butler. Really? Yeah. He he did fantastic. He did all his own singing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My MVP, I'm amazed you didn't mention uh, Henry, played Uh, by Jean-Luc Quizamo. I did, but um, he generally went as uh, Toulouse in the movie. Oh, yeah. Right. But um, he was a real character mm-hmm. um, in the real Moulin Rouge. Yep. He's my MVP because he uh, foiled the uh, assassination attempt yep. against Christian. Yep. And uh, for that part, so Jean Linguizamo obviously is not a little person, no. but he, you know, would like, like be on his like lap and these like weird contortions, like, you know, on his knees. And he actually had to undergo physical therapy for months after this yep. uh, movie, after production wrapped. Uh, Jean Linguizamo is in a ton of stuff. You'll recognize him, like uh, Tu Wong Fu. Well, you won't you won't really recognize him in that movie because he's unrecognizable. <laughs> um, uh, but everyone loves Chi Chi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love. He's like, this is the presidential suite. Must have been one of those bad presidents. <laughs> Today it would be called the Trump Suite. Boom! Ew! <laughs> Ew! I mean, if we're going by the bad ones, that's all I'm saying. Ugh. But no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, John Leguizamo been in. Um, he voices uh, Sid in the Ice Age movies. Yep, those are fun. Uh, I'm blanking. God. Oh, uh, yeah, the happening. Spun. He's been in a lot. He has been. Like, he just has such 
uh, repertoire. Like, he just pops up everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I really like the movie Gamer. And he's got, you know, a role in Gamer with uh, Gerard Butler, where he's just uh -huh. like this, you know, uh, side character. But right. um, The random like, kind of tweak, tweaking assistant kind of yeah. type character. Yeah, um, he plays that a lot. Yeah, but like he was in, um, oh shoot, what was I just thinking of? Uh, he had a quick role on The Mandalorian as Gore Koresh. Um, mm -hmm. He was on Elena of Avalor. He was on an episode of BoJack Horseman. Um, he was in John Wick Chapter 2. He Romeo and Juliet. Been... Yeah, we yes. mentioned that. Thank you. I, you know. Oh, yeah, the, the uh, Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, <laughs> he was, he was Luigi. Luigi. I've never seen um, that. Oh, he was in John Wick Chapter 1. Uh -huh. um, I have not seen that either. Uh, he was in Kick-Ass 2 as Javier. Mm -hmm. um, he, he's been in so many things. Like, I'm trying to find something. Um, he was, oh, he was in uh, Son of Sam. Um, yes, that that is an uh, underrated movie. Oh, so good. That is such a good movie. Yeah. Um sorry, I'm still going down his uh IMDb list here. He was in uh Pariso Travel, um The Babysitters. Uh he was on My Name is Earl for a couple of episodes. <laughs> he was on ER for gosh, like a year. Yeah. Um he was in the Honeymooners movie. Um oh, apparently he was on Sesame Street as Captain Vegetable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um he was in Titan AE. Uh yep, he was Vinny in Summer of Sam. Uh, which was really, really good. Mm -hmm. he, oh, he was a clown in Spawn. Uh, I've never seen Spawn. Apparently, he was on All That. Okay. Mm, I don't remember that. Which he was Tybalt he in Romeo and Juliet. Yep. Yep. He mm -hmm. was Manny in The Fan. I've I've told you about The Fan, that you need to see that. Um, he was in a Pyromaniac's love story. He was in Carlito's Way. He was in uh, Puerto Rican Mambo, which is not a musical. He was in uh, Street Hunter, Die Hard mm -hmm. 2, Casualties of War, the original Miami Vice as Orlando, Orlando Calderon. Um, oh. He was a friend of boyfriend in Madonna's Borderline video in 1984. So he has one of the first things involved. he ever did. Yeah, it's I'm the sure. first uh, acting credit on his IMDb. Uh, he has a very long IMDb, and he's such a great, excuse me, such a great character actor. Mm -hmm. uh, he is definitely recognizable but if you don't see him you won't notice him unless he talks he has a very distinct voice right uh, but yeah john leguizamo really is a fantastic actor and mm -hmm. i totally agree with you as an mvp because he he had a lot going on in this movie 
Mm-hmm. So. This character was doing a lot. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So how did this movie fare with the critics, Stefan? Yeah, so uh, 76% critical and 89% audience. So, yeah, that kind of sounds about right. Yep, I, I remember that this movie was a BFD when it came out. Uh, big mm-hmm. fucking deal. Yeah. Uh, definitely, I want to say it kind of led more of the um, musicals, like, when they started coming out and really um, studios wanting to make musical motion pictures mm-hmm. again. Yeah. And it was really, so it was nominated for eight Oscars. Wow. And only one for uh, costume, costume design and production design. Uh, was nominated, yeah, for Best Picture, uh, Screenplay, or Original Screenplay, and uh, Director. And the fact that it didn't win at least a couple of those is considered a major snub. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say so. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know how many musicals really came before this one. Um, but it it was definitely one of the bigger productions out there. Alrighty. So uh Stefan, please tell us about your movie. Yeah. So my movie is uh, Greatest Showman, uh, released in 2017, so a bit a bit later than Moulin Rouge. And the first similarity I noticed between this and Moulin Rouge is uh, the the opening scene with the logo and kind of you know the the curtains. Yeah. Yeah, I merely thought this was similar. Yes. And uh, what year was Showman? 2017. Ah, yes. You yep. just said that. <laughs> and they do the the old logo, the old 20th Century Fox logo that uh, Chris mentioned uh, the other week with Home Alone. Yep. Yeah, but in black and white, so it makes it look even more older. Uh, yeah, and so we open with you know a major musical number uh, between P.T. Barnum, played by the amazing Hugh Jackman, who just shines in everything that he does, and. And he's damn sexy too. <laughs> mm-hmm. He he's yeah. amazing, you know, between Wolverine and PT Barnum and everything else he's done. I mean, get you someone who can do both. Yeah, one of them one of the most disturbing movies I've ever seen, Prisoners, one movie I will never rewatch. Ooh, I have not seen that. It's intense. Okay. Uh yeah, and so yeah, we get this number with, you know, him and the uh, performers, uh, you know, it really sets sets the stage, and so we, you know, then cut to we see PT as a child, you know, struggling with his father, and he meets uh, Charity, who will become his wife. And I remember when I first saw this movie, I remember. Okay, I, I think I was just in kind of a bad mood. I was having an off day when I first saw this. I first saw it with, it was me, my mom, and Kyle. Because Kyle loves it. So we watched it with him. 
Okay. And yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I just didn't like it as much as I thought it would. My mom loved it. And my mom does not like most musicals. Mm. She, she has never seen the sound of music refuses to, for whatever reason. Um, it's weird. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we flash forward with them and they, you know, you know, between, you know, her being sent away to uh, finishing school mm-hmm. and they make it back, make it back. And adult charity is played by the amazing Michelle Williams also who, you know, shines in everything she does. Yep. And uh, she was married to the late great Heath Ledger. Yeah. R.I.P. And they have a child together. Mm-hmm. Heath Ledger was uh, considered for Christian in um, Moulin Rouge. Yep. By the way. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm still not totally over that. It was sad. I'm not over uh, Chester Bennington. I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they're married and they have two daughters. And it's always, this is always the, and he's working, I guess, at like a, a newspaper or a printing company. It always seems like entrepreneurs in olden times, they started working at a place like that. Some kind of like a printing press. Well, I mean, you gotta start somewhere. Right. It just seems pretty standard, but, um, you well, know, whatever. there weren't a lot of uh, options no. back in the day. <laughs> oh, no. It was like that, you know, the army, Doxman, you know, there weren't. Uh, well, Doctor. there was uh, railroad, uh, railroad track making, which is what <laughs> P.T. Barnum gets into. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so uh, the you know so he the company goes bankrupt or the the his business goes bankrupt so he loses his job and so uh, everybody loses their job every, he gets well, laid off their job yeah right everyone does and you know I don't think they had unemployment back then unfortunately so. Nope. Yep, shit out of luck. And uh, so then they, you know, he uses the collateral from the South China Seas, which I I thought that line was funny. (laughs) Collateral is deep in the South China Seas uh, to purchase this uh, museum he's making with uh, oddities. Or not oddities, just like, you know, stuffed Animals, you know, like people that, you know, you, because in, in New York City at the time, and obviously back then, you know, you didn't have pictures of any of these. So, oh they my God. It's wax there. figures. Wax figures. Antoinette and Napoleon. And he had a stuffed bull elephant and the tallest giraffe in the world. I was going to say the giraffe is what really stood out to me. I felt yeah. bad for that giraffe because like some of his like fur was like rubbed off. I'm like, oh. Mm. Poor giraffe. Poor thing. Yeah. Yeah. But and so tough. right. Right. And so uh I put in here <laughs> daughters handing out flyers, no child labor laws at the time. <laughs> they were helping family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually I, I thought it, it was really cute. Um, like if you're looking at uh well they 
they had the camera on uh, PT at the time, but you can hear the girls in the background going, oh, I love your hat. Here, take this flyer. Like, just stuff like that. It had so mm, cute. Yeah, they were adorable. Um, and so he then, you know, it's not a success. And then he, you know, he starts encountering, you know, he, he encounters, you know, some pe- uh, people that have deformities. And traditionally they were called uh, freaks. Mm-hmm. But that's obviously not appropriate. Um, I just call them performers. Um, this was actually a really good teaching moment um, with our little family sitting here watching um, when uh, my my son made a comment when um, PT stole the loaf of bread as a kid and got caught and got it taken away. And mm-hmm. then a uh, woman with um, a deformed face, you know, went to hand him an apple. And my son was like, don't take it. I've seen Snow White. And, you know, we we kind of brushed it off at that point because we wanted to continue with the movie. But, you know, just kind of left it with, well, you know, Snow White was a fairy tale. But there are some people that look like this Mm -hmm. um but then when pt goes to talk to uh the general um who is a little person Mm -hmm. um and they say that he's 22 years old um my son was like he's he's so little he doesn't look like he's 22 and so i had to have a conversation with him and say you're going to see a lot of people in this movie who do look different who have dwarfism which is a genetic disorder gigantism Mm -hmm. which is a genetic disorder um people with i forget what the technical term is but um hair on their faces and i was gonna say uh werewolf syndrome who have hair all over their bodies but they're more referred to as dog men now Mm -hmm. and um conjoined twins and um we talked about people who have uh piercings all over their faces and tattoos everywhere Mm -hmm. like that wasn't common back then like it is now and you know a man who's 500 pounds didn't get his own show on tlc like it it wasn't common i turned to my mom when they said that and they're like gee you know this man qualifies for a freak show. He wouldn't even qualify for my 600 pound life today. Is what I, what I said. It's, which is just really, you know, interesting. It um, does say a lot. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And just people with all kinds of different afflictions and mm-hmm. genetic disorders. And it, it was a really great teachable moment for my son. Mm-hmm. That's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. You're such a great mom. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And uh so so you know, he uh recruits more uh performers with deformities. And you know, and I like that you know they were they weren't I love how you know they weren't just like they didn't just sit there, you know, to like be gawked at they were like an active part of the show they were dancing 
you know, which I think, which I, that's one thing I love about this movie. Yeah. It didn't yep. feel as like exploitative, which we'll, we'll get to the real PT Barnum uh, in a bit, kind of where this movie does falter a bit. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I really love, they, they say a line, um, actually my MVP and we'll check off on that later. Um, she says a line like, you know, we weren't treated like family back home. Like we, were hidden and turned away and things mm-hmm. like that and you gave us a family which is so sweet you know and i just it's great you know especially when you get the chance to join something that feels like a family and you can choose your own family of people who want you around mm-hmm. and you can be part of something incredible yeah i agree that's uh there's something very special about that, about yeah. a chosen. I mean, you know, I love, I love my biological family, but there's something that, you know, that's, that's, you know, special in a different way from that, yeah. the people that you choose in your life. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, he you know, hires them, they start putting on a show and I write here, yeah, the musical numbers, they felt very similar to Moulin Rouge, but more grounded, you know, not not so like, yeah. you know, not so like grand. I want to say glamorous, but, you know, like that is not as many quick edits, but they were they were definitely similar. Like I said, you know, these movies were much more similar than I thought they would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's why I put them together. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. Uh, yeah. And so. This quote here, where the critic said, you know, everything you're selling is fake. But I mean, that's kind of like that's any kind of use of fiction. I don't know. More or less. um... Yeah, I didn't understand that very much. I mean, I get what he, you know, because the real P.T. Barham, you know, said, well, allegedly said a sucker is born every day. But it's kind of debated whether or not he actually said that. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, oh yeah. So then, you know, they're, uh, him and charity and are talking about their, their daughter, you know, with one of the daughters wants to, you know, is, you know, in ballet school and she uses the term, uh, prima Donna, Mm -hmm. that term until I was an adult, I thought prima Donna was like pre Madonna, like the singer. So I was probably about 20 and it was a Facebook group that corrected me. It was called, I thought prima Donna was prima Donna. Mm. So evidently I'm not the only one who thought that for a okay. Facebook group. Sorry. That's random. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. So, uh, then we meet, uh, uh, Philip played by Zach Efron, who I just, I, I, I was never, I never watched any of the high school musical movies but he has grown so much as an actor mm-hmm. just he is you know he's moved up but but he is not i love that he is not ashamed of those movies no like he he speaks highly of them you know well, that's what where they, he got to start yeah what they did for his job for you know the people he met it's like you know yeah and of course he's moved on to do greater things obviously as this movie shows so uh yeah. And I, I sorry to interrupt. I no. just love that he's not stuck being a Disney kid. 
he's definitely gone on to bigger and better things. Um, And yes, he's not ashamed of where he came from, but he is so good. He's doing bigger roles, like Uh um, playing Ted Bundy in a Netflix movie. And um, he was in a big-esque movie called 17 again, which I personally really like. I really like Zac Efron. I mm-hmm. I think he's fantastic, and he's so flipping cute. But, um... And he was in Hairspray, and he did his own singing in that, too. And mm-hmm. he just... He's, he's pretty flipping fantastic, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And his character is great, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and him... Uh, him and Jackman had excellent chemistry. Yeah. The scene in the bar, it's just they they just click so mm-hmm. well. And um so then you know he so uh Philip is a uh playwright from you know a, a, it's implied he's from a pretty privileged background. Yes, he's and, a Carlisle. Right. Yeah. And so uh they they go in there, uh, you know, he like introduces him and then they they do the whole, you know, like the world stops when you see your soulmate when he meets Anne, played by Zendaya. Am I Ooh. pronouncing that right? Zendaya, Zendaya. Yes, and she is my that actor for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I despite being how young she is, I think she's doing a really fantastic job with her career. Um, her name's Zendaya. It means to give thanks in the language of Shona. I didn't know um, that. Yeah. And uh, she actually began her career as a child model for Macy's, uh, Mervyn's, and Old Navy. Um, and she was a backup dancer for uh, um, a Disney Channel sitcom for a while. Um, but she was born in Oakland, California in 1996. Um, she has been all over the red carpet. She uh, is definitely, um, I'm going to say a social justice warrior. Mm-hmm. She definitely uses her fame and her stance for uh, what she believes in. Um, and she has been in uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, which is coming out. It's in post-production. Mm-hmm. And Dune, which is completed and it'll be coming out soon um she voices lola bunny in the new space jam coming out she uh was in she starred in euphoria uh which is all over hbo she was in spider-man far from home as mj she was in the oa she was in smallfoot as michi um she was in the greatest showman obviously um, she was in the Bruno Mars music video for Versace on the Floor. Uh, she was in Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, she's been in a number of music videos. Um, especially, uh, like Taylor Swift's Bad Blood, which had a number of stars in it. She was cutthroat. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in the TV movie Zapped. Um, she was on the show Shake It Up. Uh, she was in the movie Super Buddies as Lollipop. Um, so she's, she's had, you know, a pretty good, um, 
a pretty good uh, career so far. And, you know, despite also coming from Disney, she's not, you know, running back there. You know, mm -hmm. her career is doing quite well, especially with such a um, tumultuous show as Euphoria is. Um, but going from Disney to HBO to Spider-Man to um, The Greatest Showman, she's definitely casting a wide net. And uh, I'm pretty sure you've seen her. She's she's pretty dang good out there. Mm -hmm. Don't yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, that segues into my that actor. Uh, oh. Yeah, her brother her Anne's brother is uh wd wheeler played uh and the actor the actor who plays him the actor who plays him is is yaya abdul mateen the second okay. i'm probably not pronouncing that right uh he has been in uh aquaman he oh. was in uh us oh okay yep and who is he, he in most, us he was the dad of okay. uh of not the dad of like the main dad but like the dad of the the little girl oh in the, the beginning yeah okay. yeah and he is getting ready to break out big because he is starring in the uh new Candyman Ooh. movie coming out in August which oh my god i I am so excited for that movie, mainly because it's been delayed okay. over a year. Yeah, over a year. I will never forget the first time I saw the trailer. It was when I was in the Netherlands. You texted it to me. <laughs> and I watched it like I watched it five times in a row, at least. Wow. I'm like, this looks amazing. And, you know, it just kept like getting pushed back, obviously, and pushed back. And now finally, August 27th mm -hmm. is when it comes out or bust. Um, I um, do have to make a note. Uh, you did mention Aquaman. Um, that movie does have Amber Heard in it, who is problematic uh, in the Johnny Depp mm -hmm. divorce domestic violence case, which I wholeheartedly believe she had a hand in as well. And she has mm -hmm. admitted to... Um, being an abuser as well. So, uh, just just to put that out there, I have not seen the Aquaman movies because of her. I refuse mm. to. Um, as as much as I would like to see them, um, but I will refuse to watch anything with Amber Heard. That's fair. And so, uh, in the meantime, PT. You know, he wants something more. So he he needs something more real, he feels, for his show. And he... His daughters tell him that his daughters he needs tell him, something. Yeah. Isn't it sensational? Is the word yeah. they use? Yep. And they say, like, a unicorn or a mermaid. Yeah. I told my mom, like, yeah, I wish... How, like, I wish unicorns were real. But but I brought up specifically not the unicorn in Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> not that one. Um, yeah. 
so she uh jenny lind played by uh rebecca ferguson who the only other thing i've seen her in is um dr sleep she's the villain in that oh just so good so good uh and yeah jenny lind uh was a real uh swedish singer known as the swedish nightingale mm-hmm. and she other than her she and then the the child actors who played uh pt and uh chastity was a chastity or charity charity mm-hmm. who played them as kids uh they're the only ones that did not use their voices for singing oh okay and apparently uh she rebecca ferguson is a trained singer but oh. she felt like she couldn't do the character justice because her character was like one of the best singers in the world at the time. Uh, and she did try to sing it at a few points. And apparently uh, Hugh Jackman was the one who really encouraged her to, you know, sing in front of everybody. Oh, okay. Or at least try. Yeah. He was really supportive of her good. doing that. Yeah. Good for him. Yep. Yeah. And so uh, he recruits her and so now uh, they start touring around the world at this point, and the show is left uh, in the hands of Philip. And Philip is inspired by uh, James Bailey, by the way. Oh, yeah. okay. He, yeah, he was not. Uh, he was not a. Yeah, was Philip Philip Carlyle, real person. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I I don't believe so. But uh yeah, uh so uh Barnum and Bailey's was the circus trope. So his mm-hmm. character was inspired by him. Yeah, and so you know, at this point now they're starting to encounter uh you know, pro- protesters if you may, the whole torches and pick- pitchforks, you know, run run them out of town. Yep, which, uh, sorry to interrupt again, was another teaching point for Mm -hmm. our family um, in talking about the um, racial discrimination of today um, and the how how similar um, it can be at times, Mm -hmm. um, especially, unfortunately, in the southeast territory of the United States. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, and not just in, you know, people of color, but um, people in the queer spectrum. Um, and so, you know, we we had a good talk with our son about people that there are real people out there like that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. It's important that, you know, you stand up against that in uh, any which way you can. Yeah, well, it's 2021. You know, this isn't the 1950s. Exactly. The only way we're going to survive is to move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And, you know, the thing, it's like, you know, tell them to go home. It's like they are home. Like yep. th- th- that is their home, you know, so they, they can't go home because they're home. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so then, you know, they, uh, PT is invited to, you know, with the 
to meet the uh, queen to meet Queen Victoria. So they all head to and this this transition. I mean, I will say I like this movie because it is it's only an hour forty five minutes, which I feel like is kind of short for a musical. It sure doesn't feel like it. Mm. And um, but I felt like the transition from when they went, you know, when they were over in the UK felt a little just sudden. Like we could have seen them on the boat. I well, thought that would have been cool, but anyways. I mean, they're only in the UK for a blip. Like mm-hmm. it it didn't really I guess it didn't really need to be pointed out except for like this interaction with the Queen, because that's what they were going for. Right. Right. But the the scene it's a very significant scene and song that um comes up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh And this is the... actually where they meet Jenny Lind. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you got that right. And so they you know are and, and in real life, by the way, they didn't all go over. It was just him and um uh Tom Thumb, which was the uh the little the little person. Mm-hmm. The real, the real character that the real uh, person that his character was based off of. Yes. And so they're over there, and you know they want to. The performers want to go into the main hall where the queen is and everyone. And you know, PT's like, no, no, it's too crowded in here. And they're like, you're ashamed, you know, you're ashamed of us. And he doesn't directly say it, but it's obviously implied he is at that moment. And they sing. I don't think. You're in the same area that that happened. Oh wait. Um, when when they went when they when PT got a letter to go see the Queen, um, they kind of made a stand like it's either all or none, and right. they all went over and they all got to meet the Queen. But mm-hmm. um, at that point, when he was kind of pushing them out, was when. He had his debut show with Jenny Lynn. Right, yeah. Okay, yep. I remember now. Yeah. Again, I literally watched this like three hours ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that that happens and they perform uh, probably the most famous song from this movie, This Is Me. And This Is Me is actually the reason this movie was greenlit. It languished in development hell since 2009 and they the uh producers and writers and composers wrote this song just two hours before a uh pitch meeting wow with the studio yep and they were so impressed with the song they greenlit it they knew it was gonna be a hit uh yeah you know you what are you gonna say Oh, I was going to say, um, this song is led by my MVP for the movie. Um, she plays Letty Lutz. This is Kiala Settle. Mm-hmm. Um, basically playing the bearded woman. Um, and she's, I think, the, what, like the second person uh, P.T. Barnum finds. Yes. And she just, she's so fantastic in this role um 
she, you know, she's sassy and she kind of tries to help keep morale up. Um, you know, PT was passing out flyers with his daughters and he heard some singing and followed it into like, uh, like laundresses shop more or less. Mm-hmm. And basically she was, uh, behind a curtain and, um, She's like, you need to leave, sir, because he wasn't supposed to be back there. And he's like, you are beautiful. You are unique. Mm. And, you know, his daughter hands her one of the flyers that say, you know, wanted, you know, strange, unique, unusual people. And, you know, she she becomes, you know, a part of this family. And I just I loved her character. And that's kind of what makes her my MVP for this movie, especially that she led this song when PT was like, no, you know, you guys aren't allowed here They're They wouldn't you know, they don't want to see you. You know, mm-hmm. you guys have a show in an hour. What are you doing here? Um, and to take that stand and be like, no, you don't get to tell us to hide when you're the one who told us to come out. Um, it just, it was really amazing. Plus her purple dress in this show is gorgeous and I want one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the nice shade of the shade. The shade, the cut, it twirls so well. It's Mm -hmm. got great cleavage, like the shape, all of it. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's a fantastic dress. It wasn't quite a mauve though, unfortunately. It's not mauve. No. no, it's it's. I would say it's more of an eggplant, but yeah. uh, yes, um, it's yeah. still a gorgeous color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, this is me. You know, has become a real you know anthem for LGBTQ pride. Which uh, Happy Pride Month, by the way. Woo-hoo! We're still filming that here. Uh, yep, we're at. Speaking of which, yes, yeah, June twenty sixth now. So it's uh, the anniversary of. Obergefell v. v. Hodges when uh, same-sex marriage was legal nationwide. Oh, God. okay. I mean, this this will come out next week in the first mm-hmm. week of July. But right. yes, happy Pride. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, also, so it, while they, so at this point, yeah, PT decides to take Jenny on a tour around the world, you know, and show her off and make money and whatnot. And he leaves the trope behind with Philip and Philip and Anne uh, begin dating at this point because they love it. Cause you know, he's got some stuff to overcome. Which one? Uh, well, he's, you know, Known in the socialite world, and she is right of yeah. mixed heritage, and that mm-hmm. was not taken well. And at one point, they, you know, run into his parents, and his parents yeah. are like, you know, we didn't know we'd you'd be out with the help, and ugh, just, just ugh. Yeah, um, I know, I'm a, and I'm a, I'm kind of amazed they didn't just flat out say like, you know. A mixed girl, but I guess you know they were um, trying to be I more mean, modern. They they did use well. They called her the help, which uh-huh. is more or less what people of color were 
back in you right. know the 1860s unfortunately mm-hmm. they were enslaved persons mm-hmm. um but they they definitely used some um negative slurs for people of color but definitely tried to keep it on the not as bad side mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense yeah, yeah. I mean, being, being a pg movie mm-hmm. yeah and then um you know he philip still you know isn't going to give up on her and you know they have the the um realign the stars uh that's the name of the song right the number that they do with the ropes yes uh i believe so um Mm -hmm. i know i saw an interview with zendaya saying um that she and zach afron did this number themselves without stunt people Mm. and um had had a bit of a hard time you know, really getting into it, and they, you know, smacked into each other quite a few <laughs> times, which, I, I mean, I would expect to happen working with ropes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Zendaya said it was definitely, uh, you know, definitely a choreographed endeavor and took a lot of work to get the hang of. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, Zach Efron later said that he considered their kiss uh, one of the favorite kisses he's ever done mm. on screen. Yeah, it it was magical. It was. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, yeah, uh, PT and Jenny are on their tour, and she, they, so they they kind of start, I guess, a bit of a romance. You could say, but she. No. Well, yeah, I mean, well... She's interested in him. Yeah, true. And then she kind of traps him with uh, a kiss after a show uh, that gets photographed, which, you know, I love, you know, how quickly that, you know, like today, it'd be such a given, but even back then... As we can see with cameras, every you know, with and this in this type of setting where there being cameras everywhere, mm-hmm. it still happened. I don't know. It was a pretty saucy kiss. Yeah, yeah, and and when he rejects her, she uh, quits at that point. And yeah, he goes home. He goes home. Yep, quits, and she she's done. Uh, or he he's done with you know helping her out and you know, and so well he expects her to go off on her own and keep touring. Yeah, yeah. I mean she, yeah, she, she, and yeah, he's done help. Yeah, she, she dropped him essentially. Yeah, more or less. Right. I mean yeah. his name's still on it, but he wants mm-hmm. to go home and see his wife. Right. Who, uh, the picture showed up. Or you know a, a drawing, a, a artist composite, if you may, of mm-hmm. them showed up in the newspaper. So um, charity is betrayed, and while this I mean, happens, it's, it's quite convenient that they only live you know a few houses down from her parents. <laughs> right. Well, didn't <laughs> well, but, but they said. Remember, he did that deliberately to show off. Yeah. To 
the his in-laws because the dad you know looked down on him like you know you'll you'll always be you know poor yeah and, and he, you'll never he straight up said you know she'll be back you yeah know, she's gonna get sick of this uh life you can't provide for her and right. she'll be back mm-hmm and funny enough, he did, you know, she left when he did provide the life for her. Well, I mean, it was after that, and it was when she felt betrayed. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, in the meantime, there was a, the protests explode and a riot breaks out, and, uh, at this at this moment, Philip uh, became my MVP for standing up for them. Yes, and just people like him are some of the best. You know, the, the, it's if you, it, it takes a special kind of person to be born into privilege and to still sympathize with people that were not that were on the total end of the spectrum that mm-hmm. were not lucky like you and. Which I think is great, and he showed that, you know, by defending them and, you know, his relationship with Anne. Um, and so they, the they, the you know, fend off the protesters, but the uh, their their uh, hall or where they perform has been burned down at yep. this point. Yeah, and. So, you know, like, what do we do? And this, as you said, where um, the the bearded lady, I forget her name. Uh, Letty. 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 Lutz. Yep. Where Letty, uh, so PT's in the bar, kind of, you know, kind of just, you know, beside himself Drowning at this point. Sorrows. Right. And booze. You know, we've seen it all the time. And, you know, they all show up and you know, mention, you know, we had nobody before you came along. And that's, that sentiment is very true. If you look at, you know, interviews from people that were quote unquote sideshow freaks that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, they were exploited and they were, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it gave them a family and a, a job and a sense of purpose that they never had. So it's well, kind of, you know, it's bittersweet. This is a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it doesn't always go down like that. I'm just gonna no, oh, no, put no, no, that no. out there. No. no. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the way, you know, how they showed it on like uh the the freak show season of American Horror Story. Yes. Where there was some of that, but it was also really grim most yeah. of the time. Yeah, you're you're uh, living on the edge. Well, that and you know sometimes you're just stuck with whoever's there, and yeah. you don't you know you don't have that bond, you know right. where everybody looks out for everybody. Like um, I was going to mention, like it was really nice in the Greatest Showman that there wasn't like one specific like star performer like everybody had their own act and their own time and you know nobody was raised above anybody else no 
that's that's you know kind of the thing i liked about this one uh this movie is Mm -hmm. that you know they didn't rely on you know one specific performer yeah definitely yeah and uh so they uh they you know come back together and realize and suddenly PT has an idea where, well, we can, you know, we don't need a building to perform in. And I love how he says, you know, what did he say? Like real estate in New York city is a scam. Uh, well, I mean, we need to rewind a little cause Philip is really the saving race here. Um, in growing up, uh, he, you know, he grew up, you know, not spending tons of money and, you know, putting money away <laughs> and investing it and things like that. And so, um, at the end, trying to find, I just had it here. Um, um basically you know philip is saying that you know i took i had the foresight to take my cut out weekly and i that's right aside and you know um pt is like oh well i'm not gonna ask you to bet on me and letty's like why not you know we Mm -hmm. we all did already you know you you did this so why the hell not and um you know philip is saying you know we just need to find another place and pt was saying you know um real estate in manhattan is a terrible investment why i can get land down by the docks for almost nothing all we need is a tent so and that births the uh the uh, PT, well, I want to say PT and Barnum, but PT, uh, Bar- PT and P- Barnum and Bailey. Yeah. Uh, the modern circus up until 2017. Funny enough, yeah, the year this movie was released was when Barnum and Bailey's uh, shuttered. Yeah. Yeah. I never. I... I, what? Go ahead. Oh, I've never been to the circus and I don't really have any desire to go. I love the circus i do i yeah i went every year my grandpa marched in the opening parade Mm. um my you know great uncle marched along with him and played the drum while my grandpa played the fife and you know i would go to you know picnics and things for the shriners and you know i like clowns i'm not afraid of them and so I just I have very fond memories of mm-hmm. seventeen years of going to circuses and seeing acts and things like that. And um I'm glad I got to take my son to a circus. Uh, but he was an itty bitty baby when we did, so he doesn't remember it. Um, and that's probably the last time I went to one was around two thousand thirteen, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's sad that you know they aren't really a thing 
anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. Did Cirque du Soleil like shut down from Corona? You know, I am not sure if they uh, have restarted. Okay, because I know they were having issues, um, but that's you know. That's pretty much the only circus you're going to find around now, um, as they're not really much of a thing over here in the United States anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, they they kind of started going downhill when people started protesting for the care, um, the proper care for wild animals, which right. is completely understandable. I get mm-hmm. it. I'm not denouncing them or anything i just you know i i loved seeing all of the acts um there's a very well-known quick change uh set of artists it's a man and a woman and i got to see them one year at the circus and it was just it was phenomenal and every year there's some new stuff and there's some stuff you've seen before and so um the circus is a big part to me and pretty much any movie that involves a circus I will watch like I I must I must mm-hmm. watch it um, yeah so like this and uh oh water for elephants so good um you know peewee's big top um <laughs> mm-hmm. there there aren't that many circus movies out there um I have not seen freaks yet um, but I, I will get there. It is on my list. I um, have it. Um, my mom and I were actually talking about that when we watched this, how it, uh, it, it definitely holds up for such an old movie. I mean, in terms of being unsettling. Yes. I, I know, I know it is creepy. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. still say it's creepy and not a lot of movies can say that after so much time has passed. Yeah. Um, like, even my favorite season of American Horror Story is Freak Show. Mm. Um, and the uh, the small woman in that, I swear that when I was a kid, um, she was going around uh, to different state fairs as, you wow. know, the smallest woman in the world. And there was, uh, like, cup to collect money for a wheelchair and my mom got mad at me because i put you know my five dollars in there um but i swear i swear it was the same woman and she has passed mm. now unfortunately um but oh, yeah, i didn't know, you know that I'm, I'm sad. yeah yeah i'm i'm pretty sure she passed um the one the one that she, did from there well wait to have the one that was me uh meep like the the chicken guy and then the Oh yeah, Ben Wolf passed. That was that was bloody tragic. Ben like, Wolf and then uh um the the woman's name was Rose. She was the yeah. one that had no legs. Yes. She she's in she's she was a she was a badass bitch. I remember seeing her like on a, a news program back around two thousand. Mm-hmm. She like, you know, had an auto garage, you know, two sons, just yeah, really Wow. Lived a lived a full life, you know, but yeah. Well, I'm glad my five dollars went to help her. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, and so as I was saying, the uh, the you know circus has been a big part of my life for a very mm-hmm. long time. Yeah. Actually, another thing I was talking to my son about is uh, one of the reasons I worked at the last job I did at um, a theater here in Minneapolis is that I got to meet so many people from different walks of life and different skill sets. And, you know, um, I pointed out to him, you know, the woman hanging from the you know hoop by her neck i know people that can do that you know the guy juggling with fire i know somebody that can do that you know and a whole oh contortionists i know a couple of contortionists here in the twin cities and so it just it was it was really cool to say hey i know people that can do that Mm -hmm. um and that that's you know one of one of the joys I got from working at that theater. Yeah. R.I.P. Minsky. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think any industry suffered more during the pandemic than live theater. Yeah. Yeah. Entertainment. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the movie ends then with uh, P.T. handing the reins to uh, Philip. And because he wants to, you know, spend time with his family, uh, see his daughters, watch his girls grow up. And I, I joked to my mom while at the same time collecting his cut of the profits. Yeah. I mean, he even <laughs> yeah. said when he took Philip on that he was, you know, getting a high paid apprentice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so uh, that that's uh, Greatest Showman. Yeah, do you have anything else to say before we go to critical and audience? Um, actually, one of the favorite lines to me that stood out is um, when P.T. Barnum was sitting and talking to that reporter that didn't like his show. Um, the reporter said, you know, I never liked your show, but I always thought the people did. And mm-hmm. P.T. said, they did. They do. And this reporter said, you know, putting people of all shapes, sizes, colors, putting them on stage together and presenting them as equals. Another critic might have even called it a celebration of humanity. And P.T. Barnum said, I would have liked that. And I just, it gives me, you know, the warm fuzzies and good feelings. And I just, Mm -hmm. I really, really like that line. Same. Same. I forgot about that. Thank you for including that and you know yeah i mean the movie you know took a lot of liberties and you know obviously that's not you know how it was or the intentions but you know it's it's just good for feel good in that sense yeah definitely so um how did this movie fare with the critics not as good as um moulin rouge so oh no right 57 percent critical but 86% audience, so a pretty big discrepancy. That does sound like it. I know I went and saw this one in the theater. Um, mm-hmm. I just feel like there was such a big like, time gap between musicals. Because like, there was like a big burst of musicals in the early aughts. Mm-hmm. And then like 
you know, they went into other things. And then this just kind of came out of nowhere. And, I, uh, I love how you call it the, the early aughts. It sounds so old-fashioned, but I like it. <laughs> I just, I don't like saying, like, the early OOs. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, I could say the early millennium. Like, make it sound super futuristic. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it just I just go with the aughts. Yeah. Hello? Yeah, and the most of the criticism was directed at the uh, historical liberties and how the they felt like it was too preachy and emotionally manipulative. Uh, and there you know, there it did take a lot of liberties, like the whole thing with uh, Jenny. Jenny Kind was a real person, but like there was no tour with her and no implied romance that never happened. Uh, I thought thought I read that it was the other way around and that PT was chasing after her. I don't know. I didn't see anything about that in the IMDb trivia. Oh, well, I mean, I might have read that on another site. Right. Could be just, you know, 1800s gossip. (laughs) Perhaps, yeah. Maybe. Very old tea. (laughs) Old tea. (laughs) Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, the, and Barnum was, you know, not as nice of a guy as he was portrayed in here. He was very, uh, exploitative. He actually, uh, bought a, uh, elderly slave in the 1850s, uh, to display. And this, you know, he claimed that she was like the, the nurse to, uh, George Washington and he had her like tell stories about you know him and like like she claimed she was like 160 years old or something like that yeah it was this whole thing you know and um yeah so that kind of taints it a bit you know but what can you do and this uh was nominated only for one Oscar which I think is a travesty yeah but it didn't get like production design or you know in a cinematography or any of that only for best original song for this is mm. me and it did not win oh yeah what was it up against do you know oh god what one it was like another thing in a drama i did i did look at this before but well, and I mean, it's also come to light that, you know, the Academy doesn't actually watch all of the movies. Right. Vote, it's like... Which is really obnoxious. Oh, Remember Me from Coco. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, oh, that's a tough, mm-hmm. that's a tough choice. Ooh. That is tough. And I'm guessing more people saw Coco, too. Yeah. Have have you and your family watched a Luca yet? We have not. Um, mm. we, we haven't been watching a lot of stuff together. Um, but my son is starting to get into more movies. Um, mm. Starting with the Mighty Duck movies. Um, That's what you said. But he, he did enjoy The Greatest Showman. It was just a little long to hold his attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, we're, we're easing into it. 
That's great. Do you have anything else to say about Greatest Showman? Uh, no. Um, I, you know, I really enjoyed this film. And, I mean, I like musicals in general anyway. I've met a ton of people who are like, no, musicals are terrible. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, with how much that goes into them, how, how can you hate them? Like, do mm-hmm. you hate music? What is wrong with you? So... I think it's because some people, they need to, you know, they want to feel a sense of realism with mu- with movies and musicals, kind of take them out of that, perhaps. Well, I mean, most people don't break out into song. Um, right. Present company excluded, because I do. <laughs> Same. But... <laughs> there's, a new, um, there's a movie on Apple TV coming out where it's like this couple, they're trapped in a musical. Oh gosh, I think I've heard of that, and I think yeah. I wanted to see it, but I don't. I don't use Apple products, mm-hmm. so I I am not a fan of Apple or their um, rental agreements. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I think I really wanted to see that. Um, kind of along the same lines of uh, "Isn't It Romantic" with Rebel Wilson. Yeah, it sounds I really like, thought of that, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it sounds like a good premise, and I would love to see it. I just mm-hmm. am not subscribing to Apple TV anytime soon. Right. Right. Great. Well, uh, now that we've discussed our thoughts on these films, let's see how they fare in the social media battle polls. <laughs> Jess, give us a scoop. All right. So talking about social media battle polls that we try to post every Monday. Um, We are not perfect, but we try. Um, You guys, we had a break actually mid-June and the poll that week was what is July's theme going to be? And you voted on musicals, which I voted for that too. But <laughs> it came out, it eked out just on top. Um, and so with that being said, our first poll of July is, you know, Moulin Rouge versus The Greatest Showman. Um, we had a couple of tweets that were not so much in favor mm-hmm. of the choices this week. So hopefully they'll like our choices for the rest of the month. Um, but we did get 20 votes. You know, we're, we're getting more voters. And I'm so excited. Um, you know, I found that we went into three more countries recently. And we, we have listeners all over the world. And it's just amazing. So thank you all so much for listening. Um, we, we really appreciate it. And for coming up and voting. Um, so Moulin Rouge beat out The Greatest Showman uh, pretty badly. 70 to 30%. That kind of um, surprises me. I, I preferred uh, Greatest Showman, personally. Yep, I preferred Greatest Showman, and so did Chris, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know the three of us voted for Greatest Showman. 
but you know, I I feel like more people saw Moulin Rouge because it was such a big, you know, blast off in their the early aughts and so colorful and so amazing. And it's kind of one of those can't miss movies. And I guess I feel like with the greatest showman and how far apart it was from other musicals. Like I was delighted to see it, but I know not everybody is. Um, and so, you know, uh, Moulin Rouge beat it out and it is how it is. The people have spoken mm-hmm. um, and we will have a new poll on Monday. Um, or, you know, when I remember, (laughs) um, but with that being said, you can find us on Twitter on, uh, fighting films podcast or at films fighting. You can find us on Facebook at fighting films podcast, uh, or at fighting films pod. You can message me on Gmail at fighting films pod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram where I post you know, maybe a surprise picture here or there of something that might be coming up or, you know, pictures of celebs that one of us has met. Like when I met the guys from Broken Lizard um, about three years ago. Um, And we do have a Patreon and it is at three tiers right now, but that may be changing soon. Wink, wink. Um, And so if you like this show and you do want to support us, um, you get, you know, extra content, no ads, and early access to the show starting at just a dollar a month. So um, whether it be a one-off or if you, you know, want to support us monthly, um, we do have our regular supporters continuing. Karen and Brent, we love you. Thank you so much. Lava, lava. <laughs> But if you want to hear your name on uh, our show, just hop on Patreon.com and look up Fighting Films Podcast, and you can definitely check out our tiers. Well, thank you all for listening. This is Stefan. This is Jess. And until next time, let's keep those films fighting. Bye. Bye. Not on battery. We don't need to go to battery. Why are we the, on battery? The Ernie oh. Hudson house by my parents. Uh, there's some major construction going on. Mm. Yep. So I guess they're like 